Joe Biden has maybe officially won Georgia again. Megan Thee Stallion's new album is here and it's nothing but good news. And we're joined by writer, editor, and activist Raquel Willis to discuss Trans Day of Remembrance. The date, November 20th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hello, friends. I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Zach Stafford. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Zach, I just got a text like 10 minutes ago, and I am so confused about the context of it. Okay, it basically asked, has anyone tried coconut oil pulling for teeth whitening? And I don't know what any of those words mean together. (gasps) Casey, how do you live in the Los Angeles area and not know about coconut pulling the fake as hell teeth whitening a solution of 2012 and 2013. I literally <laughs> never heard of that. <laughs> it's like literally, it's it's bogus. It's fake news. Uh, it is something that people thought. How does it work thought. though? So I guess you, you're supposed to get coconut oil and you put it in your mouth and you pull it in and out of your teeth. Like kind of like you gargle it and it allegedly pulls and whitens and does all these things. Um, but it's not true. Like that's not what happens because if that was the case, then like, every person that lives in a tropical area that eats coconuts would have like brilliant teeth. And that's just not what happens. So, you know, it's just, it's a urban myth. Okay. But you know what? I'm glad that I didn't know about this. Cause if I had known about it, I would have done it. Cause I was also like, you know, in middle school, like putting lemon juice on my hair and then yes, sitting in the sun. It. Yeah. To lighten it. <laughs> I would have done, I would have had coconut oil in my mouth at all times. <laughs> I love these random things we do to ourselves to like kind of hack Right. Yeah. Done professionally. uh, But in the end, you just smell like a smoothie, you know, like like your lemon burning, like a burnt lemon smoothie, a coconut smoothie. (laughs) Okay, Zach, it's time for today's top stories. What's going on in the world? So by now, you would think that Joe Biden has officially won Georgia after the state's audit and hand counting of ballots. But here's what Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger had to say at a press conference earlier today. I'm disappointed. Our candidate didn't win Georgia's electoral votes. Close elections so distrust. People feel their side was cheated. We saw this from the Democrats in 2018, and we see this from Republicans today. Working as an engineer throughout my life, I live by the motto that numbers don't lie. As Secretary of State, I believe that the numbers that we have presented today are correct. But it turns out that's not the case. Raffensperger has corrected his earlier statement and said that he expects to certify the results later tonight. Biden's margin of victory narrowed slightly during the audit from around 13,000 votes to 12,000 votes, thanks to 5,000 ballots that were not counted in the original batch. Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp, needs to certify those results by tomorrow afternoon. And some Republicans are finally rebuffing the Trump campaign's election standoff. Here's Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, on CNN telling Wolf Blitzer why it's problematic that Trump isn't stepping aside. He is concerned, though. I think all Americans should be concerned about the way in which President Trump is behaving in these final days in office. Uh, Instead of doing what he should do under the law, facilitating an orderly transition, helping us save lives in the fight against COVID, uh, the president's thrashing around with these PR stunts, these ridiculous allegations that are baseless. Uh, he's zero for 30 on lawsuits. He's filed 30 lawsuits. He's lost every single one of them because there's no basis for the claims. Uh, Donald Trump should do his job. Joe Biden's busy doing his job right now. As you talked about earlier, he met with bipartisan governors to get an assessment of where we are in the COVID crisis and most importantly, 
what we need to do to get it under control. He's preparing to take over on January 20th. It's a shame that the president isn't doing his job as well. The Republicans who have gotten on board with the transition to Biden include Lamar Alexander and Mitt Romney. Romney even took to Twitter to address Trump refusing to concede, saying, quote, having failed to make even a plausible case of widespread fraud or conspiracy before any court of law, the president has now resorted to overt pressure on state and local officials to subvert the will of the people and overturn the election. It is difficult to imagine a worse, more undemocratic action by a sitting American president. Mitt Romney. I mean, it's literally like, you know, when Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, said, like, you know, he's not doing what he should be doing. Okay, story of the past four years. Like, hello, broken record. Trump's not doing his job. Wild. And he's distracting us with other things that don't matter. Wild. And I would like to say that yesterday we said that he lost 25 court cases. So within a day, five more losses. (laughs) God, so many L's. So many L's, so little time. And also, I want to talk about, okay, so saying like Biden's margin of victory narrowed slightly from 13,000 to 12,000. I mean, that's exactly what we expected. We weren't expecting more than a, a thousand. It's usually around the 500 range when you're doing a recount like that. So it's just like, okay, you spent money doing a recount and here's the result. Yeah. And, you know, there is a, a world in which we get it recounted again, yeah. but it will not be by hand. Mm-hmm. It is by a high speed machine, which will happen really quickly. So he should probably just take the L and keep moving. But I will make a note here that Mitt Romney, without fail, continues to show up and push back against the Republican Party at the very last minute, <laughs> at the 11th hour, every time. It's yep. like, you could have done this weeks ago, sis. Like, literally, I'm looking at my calendar. You could have done this 16 days ago, and you didn't. <laughs> so here we are, Mitt Romney from Utah. And, you go. know, we'll remember that forever because it's what he does every time. Anyway, let's move on to happier news. Casey, what's going on in the entertainment world as we head into the weekend? Well, Megan Thee Stallion dropped her first official album last night. It's called Good News, and honestly, there's just so much that is good about it. It has appearances from both SZA and Beyonce. It's getting universally rave reviews. And yes, there is a Tory Lanez diss track, and it is truly everything we could want it to be and more. In case you don't remember, Lanez is charged with shooting Megan in a violent incident over the summer. Megan appears to address what happened in a song called Shots Fired. Megan does not mention Lanes by name. He's due back in January, and if convicted, he faces up to 22 years in prison. I have two things to respond to that brilliant piece of art Megan the Stallion has blessed us with. One, it is the opening of the entire album as a diss track. <laughs> yes. We stand. She begins there, and then we go on a ride from there. Two, she does not mention Tori's name, but she says, you're just on the remix, which we all know that Tori Lanes. <laughs> never has his own song that charts. It's always he's featured on someone else's songs. So drag him, drag him, sis. He deserves. I'm truly like, for how like horrible the whole entire situation is for Megan, I have truly liked this arc she's on and this like, this that how she's bounced back from it. You know, at first she was trying to protect herself and others because, you know, a gun in the hands of black people in a car. She knew that the police like probably wouldn't respond to that well. So she her first reaction was to protect. And then after that, when the protection she gave to others, it was not given back to her, especially since she was the one who was shot. I'm just so glad that this is where she is now. She's speaking up for herself and other black women. 
Yes, we we love. And it was it has been heartbreaking to see that being a black woman in America, even being rich, famous, beloved, you know, chart topping, she is the top of the rap game currently, her and Cardi B still cannot protect her from the massage noir that they face, that black women face in America, and how people love to throw black women under the bus. So I love that she's reclaiming her space and fighting back. I will be purchasing, supporting however you need, girl. Let us know how we can support you here. Moving on in more music news, singer and now director Sia is pushing back against accusations of ableism after casting able-bodied dancer Maddie Ziegler as a young woman with special needs in her new film. The trailer for her directorial debut music dropped yesterday and was immediately met with criticism. It tells the story of a drug dealer played by Kate Hudson who takes custody of her special needs sister named Music played by Ziegler. Music is nonverbal and communicates through a device that speaks for her. The film features multiple fantasy-esque sequences where we see the world through music's point of view. There's a lot of singing and dancing, and it feels very much like a Sia music video. Sia addressed the backlash in a series of tweets, writing, quote, I actually tried working with a beautiful young girl, nonverbal, on the spectrum, and she found it unpleasant and stressful. So that's why I cast Maddie. She added, quote, I've never referred to music as disabled. Special abilities is what I've always said, and casting someone at her level of functioning was cruel, not kind. So I made the executive decision that we would do our best to lovingly represent the community. Sia added that she spent years researching the film and cast many neuroatypical actors. I am not a part of this community, so I can't really, I'm not going to try to speak for them and fight this fight that's going on. But what I will say is hit dogs yell, as my grandmother used to say, and how Sia is responding to the criticism of public art, I think is really telling that she's being incredibly defensive. I think I saw on Twitter, like she definitely is like attacking people like on her own account. And I just think whenever you see that happening with a public figure who people are calling in and asking questions, um, because the disabled community is never represented fairly in, in the world ever. I mean, we've seen like now DeMarco doing a lot of work at Netflix to try to change that for different communities within that space. But like when people are calling you in, like, listen and have a conversation, but the defensiveness, I just, I don't know. It's a flag for me. No, it is because it's like, Yes. Okay. Her first instinct was to hire someone who was on the spectrum and nonverbal, but you know, that is bare minimum. So I get what you're saying of like this defensiveness is like, you know, that's not really the response that's needed right now. You know, it's to listen because as someone who she is not a part of that community, that is all that she should be doing. To have those hard, messy conversations around, you know, casting barriers due to us building an industry that focuses on able-bodied people. So there are like some bigger system issues here, but C is getting very defensive and I, I adore Sia. I think she does incredible work. But whenever I see people like this just start fighting and what I'm seeing on Twitter, I just get concerned because it feels like it's coming from a, you know, my, my therapist always tells me that anger is a secondary emotion that usually is covering up something. And I think she's covering up something here. That's all I got to say on that one. <laughs> <laughs> God bless therapists. Yes, God bless them. We love them. All right. When we come back, we've got Raquel Willis here. So stay right there. It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover 
Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free. Until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel, and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl. Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind-the-scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and... Discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special. Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this. At the end when he says, you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke. I believe that. Whoa. I feel like I did. I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was, I, I, I tossed that one out. Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Today is Trans Day of Remembrance. It's coming at a time when a lot of us might be feeling hopeful with a new, more LGBTQ-friendly administration coming into power. But hope isn't enough. We've got a lot of work to do. And right now, we're going to talk about what exactly that work is. Joining us now to talk about this is writer, editor, and activist, and a dear friend, Raquel Willis. Good afternoon, Raquel. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for creating the time for us uh, to have this conversation today. So let's just jump right on in. You know, as Casey mentioned, we know a lot of people are feeling a sigh of relief with Biden heading to the White House now. Uh, But the point of today is to remember the people we've lost so far this year. And this year has been really tough for the trans community. And this week alone, we've received news that three more trans folks have been killed, making this the deadliest year on record. So how are you navigating these two truths today that we are feeling hopeful about LGBTQ futures and community potentially, but also dealing with real violence and devastation. I have a tempered hope. So yes, I am excited for us to move into a time where, and hopefully an era where we are not kind of dealing with this constant threat of Trumpism and all that comes with it, right? The stoking of all of these systems of oppression, white supremacy, patriarchy, All types of xenophobia that really fuels, in a large part, this uh, epidemic of violence. Um, But I also don't believe in this idea that we can return to the status quo because people, particularly trans people and gender nonconforming people, were already under attack before Trump got into office. He's not that clever to come up with the ways that we have been discriminated against. He's just built upon them. We know that Black trans women are overwhelmingly victimized. Since 2017, Black trans women have made up 76% of the trans community killed, despite only making up 16% of the population. 
Last year, you completed the Trans Obituaries Project, writing an obituary for every single trans woman of color killed in 2019. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, that experience was heart-wrenching and and gutting in a lot of ways. Uh, I was talking to families, friends, and loved ones really until I was in tears sometimes and I would have to mute myself because I didn't want to set off the people that I was talking to. You know, no doubt they had um, deeper emotions about losing their loved one than I did. Um, But I really was interested in getting to the heart of who these trans sisters and siblings were and humanizing their stories in the ways that we still don't see enough in media for Black people writ large, I think, and people of color writ large. But I was also interested in the other piece of it. How do we move beyond tragedy into transformation? Who are leading those efforts? And so Interestingly enough, there are black and brown trans people and queer people who are coming up with solutions to this epidemic of violence every day. And you actually just posted one today on your Instagram. I think I just reshared it. It was six, is it 12 steps? 13. So I reposted it from last year. I really spent the last few months trying to wrap my head around where we are now and where we've been, particularly a year ago. And a lot of the steps hold up. You know, these ideas of increasing media competency and literacy is something that I think touches across the American experience, just as we've seen this rise in disinformation. Um, That is also happening to trans people. Um, When I think about increasing resources, reallocating resources to ending this epidemic, that still holds true. So I think all of that is key. I think what I've done over the last year is really sharpened my analysis in a lot of ways. So I think it's important for us to understand that this epidemic of violence plaguing trans people is so connected to a larger landscape of violence plaguing all people on the margins. And so we saw in the wake of George Floyd's murder, a deepened conversation around state violence that is connected to this violence that is happening to trans and gender nonconforming people, often at the hands of people in our communities and in our homes. Something that you and I both were very committed to was ensuring that these presidential candidates a year ago, that they were talking about us in much more complicated ways. And you've really helped pave that way for a more intersectional approach through your work. So I'd love to know more about looking forward. You know, we see that Joe Biden spoke to the trans community in his acceptance speech um, the other day. How do you think we should be holding them accountable in 2021 when this all begins? What are you looking for from the administration to do for our communities? You know, I I think that it is so important for us to always hold this accountability factor for our electeds true and hard and fast. And we've got to make sure that we actually keep that energy beyond an election season. So I hope folks will do that. What I'm looking forward to in this administration, you know, I, I think It speaks volumes to have a president who not only acknowledges the trans community, but has throughout, particularly the later part of his career at least, employed trans people and and been in conversation with trans people, right? So we can have a lot of critiques, but that is a redeeming factor that we can hold for the Biden administration. Now, 
Are there other things that we need to discuss there around how trans people have been treated, particularly in this criminal injustice system we have? Absolutely, particularly looking at both Biden and Harris's record. But I think it is important that we at least have a leader who can signal the dignity and honor of trans people. I'm glad that there is interest in pushing forward with the Equality Act, although we know that legislation doesn't always trickle down into keeping people alive on the margins. But I also hope, and this is something that has been important to me, is that these leaders figure out ways to pour funding and resources and energy into the grassroots work happening on the ground. That is where the solutions lie. It's great to have all of these larger pushes for national legislation, but if you're not funding and supporting folks who are doing the grassroots work, then we're not going to actually accomplish that closer vision of liberation we're seeking. Ooh, amen. Amen, girl. <laughs> Voters elected a record 570 queer and trans people to office, including the queerest Congress in history. We have a black woman as the vice president elect. Do you feel like this growing level of representation for these communities is actually indicative of change in the way Americans feel about black lives, trans lives and black trans lives? Like everything else, it's such a complicated answer. <laughs> I think, yes, um, but I am very interested in us all moving into an era where it's not just us talking about identity representation, but we're also talking about the values representation. So it's no longer enough for us to be excited about a black person in this position or a woman in this position or even a queer and trans person in this position if they don't have the record of speaking to and being in conversation with and coming up with solutions for the communities they supposedly represent with their identity, period. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So before we let you go, I want to have a moment to like really celebrate one of my favorite moments of 2020 that involves you particularly. You know, the summer we saw Black Lives Matter really gain an enormous amount of momentum around the country. People were really listening in ways I'd never seen before. But there was this one moment in Brooklyn where you led a, uh, a march and a moment around Black trans lives specifically. And you gave this really beautiful speech that I want to play right now real quick. those who haven't seen the footage, it's literally the museum in Brooklyn filled with so, so many people echoing your words. And I remember watching that and just like getting very emotional. But for you, you've been involved in this work for so long. I've known you for a good amount of time and you have been so committed to the dignity and the celebration of Black trans folks for a long time. And in that moment, we were finally seeing the world listen in ways that I know that you fought so hard to see. So what did it feel like to hear those words echoed back at you on those stairs that day? It felt powerful. And, you know, when I listen back to it, obviously I've heard it a million times since then. I almost have to remind myself that that's me. Um, and I think that that is just a testament of how we're going to have to continue to find ways to feel powerful like I felt in that moment throughout the course of our lives, right? Those moments come and then you're constantly 
having to make sure that you can uh, catch up to that power that maybe you had in that moment. Um, at least that, that's how I feel. But it was powerful. And I think what is even more powerful is, you know, the audacity to chant that. Because I chanted that without question that people were going to chant it back. And as a Black trans woman who also deals with anxiety, honey, all of these different things, I look back on that day um, as a source of strength, and I hope that others can do that as well. Uh, and I think they do that. Uh, I mean, Raquel kind of spoke to this a bit, but those words have followed her everywhere. I see them everywhere. <laughs> there are memes, there are t-shirts, they are everywhere. Ra- Miss Raquel Willis <laughs> is everywhere, honey. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Raquel, thank you so much for making time for us today. This has been really, really lovely catching up. Thank you. Thank you both for elevating um, the community today. And, and always, honestly, I know that's a, a big part of your work as well. So thank you. Okay, we've got time for one more thing, and it involves Edward Norton, my one true love, going off on the Trump administration on Twitter. For background, Norton's father was a prosecutor, and Norton has also spent lots of time at poker tables and wove those two threads together to explain what the heck is going on in Trump land. He is asking everyone from prosecutors to electors to hashtag call his bluff, and some of the responses are absolutely great. One from Steve Hofstetter says, quote, this is why everyone who tells celebrities to stick to acting or singing or comedy can fuck right off. We need people with reach like this to speak up. And another from Dave Itzkoff states, Brad Pitt should just tweet the same thread as Edward Norton word for word. Give no explanation. I agree today that Brad Pitt should get involved because his pictures of him doing charity work in L.A. the other day. Did you see these? No, I didn't. Oh, there's viral photos of him like smoking a cigarette and handing out food in South Central LA. And it's incredible because, you know, Brad Pitt is a man of volunteerism, I guess. Anyway, Brad Pitt's on my like list of do-gooders this week. So I do think he's, you know, aptly primed to engage in dragging the president if he'd like. So yeah. Edward Norton is correct that he should bring in his fight club friend to have a fight. <laughs> yeah. And I like highly love Edward Norton's thread. It basically is just saying like, Hey, this just seems like Trump is completely like knows he's in legal shit and is trying to distract everyone and give himself time to figure out his own legal issues for when he's not president anymore. And it, but it is, it is one of those things. I'm so tired of people being like, celebrities shut up. And I'm like, no, if they have a big platform and they can reach their followers in a good and educational way, please what do so. Said, if you have something substantial to say, or honestly, know what? If you have something terrible to say, <laughs> let me know so I know where to put my money. Because if you are trash, exactly. I'm not giving you coins. So I say speak up more. Reveal yourself, Charlie D'Amelio, so I know <laughs> not, to, not to look at your TikToks anymore. So there, I, I, radical transparency is the, the thing I need right now in America. <laughs> Correct. Correct. (laughs) All right. That's it for today. Join us on Monday for a chat with the queen of the Lifetime holiday film herself, Melissa Joan Hart. And remember, walk through life having the confidence of Megan Thee Stallion opening her entire album with a diss track. News O'Clock is produced by Dan Bauza, Alan Haberchak, Julia Karen, and Erica Nedanine. Special thanks to Tracy Ayers, Mangesh Hatikater, Samantha Hannig, and Tommy Wesley. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock.
If dog people made dog food, it wouldn't be sold in a 50-pound bag in the hardware aisle by the shoe polish. It would actually be food. It would be made with real, fresh meat and veggies gently cooked to preserve their nutritional value. You know, like food. The Farmer's Dog was created by dog people who cook and deliver fresh, healthy food. Try the Farmer's Dog and get fresh, pre-portioned meals tailored to your dog's needs. Tell us about your dog, build your plan, and get 50% off at thefarmersdog.com slash listen. That's thefarmersdog.com slash listen. Raffi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Raffi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking In, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, Nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking in. 